1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, interesting day today. Brewers play St. Louis. Their magic number is four, which means any combination of Brewers wins and Colorado Rocky losses, and the, the Brewers are, are in the playoffs. And then, of course, you want to do better than that. I mean, ideally, they're, they're two and a half games behind the Cubs. The Cubs' magic, magic number is five, which would be any combination of Cubs wins and Brewers losses. The ideal thing would be to win the, the Central Division, then you avoid this one-game uh, play-in. The two wild-card teams have a, a one-game playoff. But at the very least, you want to beat St. Louis, which is two games behind the Brewers, because then you want that home wild-card game, which would be a week from tomorrow. So a lot of fun stuff. Brewers are doing something different tonight. Rather than start their typical starter, Chase Anderson, they're going to be doing what they call a bullpen game, which is this is sort of Tampa Bay has been doing this a lot this year, which means because Anderson has been kind of scuffling. Now, he's had a so-so season, but he's had trouble getting out of games. He hasn't gone very long. He's gotten hit around early in games. So what they're going to do is they're going to use bullpen pitchers. Now, they're actually starting Dan Jennings. I know we said Junior Guerra, but it's Dan Jennings. That's the most recent information. He's a left-handed pitcher. He'll come in and pitch maybe one, maybe two innings. Who knows? Then they'll go to another one of their relievers, and they'll go to another one of their relievers, the idea being they hope to be ahead by the time they get to like the sixth inning or seventh inning, and then they go to Hader and Jeffries, and they try to win. So yeah, it's it's what you do, I guess, nowadays, especially when every game matters a lot. And you can hear the game from St. Louis here on WTMJ tonight. Would be a very very big win. Uh, the Brewers, two out of three out of this series, I, I think against St. Louis, pretty much guarantees that that they're going to be hosting the wild card play in game. Um, three in a row? I don't know. I haven't given up on them catching the Cubs, but they're two and a half games behind. With the Cubs have seven games to play, the Brewers have six games to play. It gets starts to get a little bit daunting with the math, but you you never know. All right, we are up. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. And as we do every day, we live stream the first couple segments of the program, and you can participate in that way as well. Now, we've got a lot of different stuff to talk about on today's program, but let us begin with the story from yesterday that everyone is discussing. And I am talking about what happened with Clay Matthews. Now, let me back up for a minute here. The um, Every year, my wife goes down to hang out in Florida for a week with her, her girlfriends. And for years and years and years, this was, I, I guess, a, a sort of a, a girl's trip. Well, now one of her friends is down there with her husband, Another friend of hers, her and her husband, bought a place in Florida. So my wife says to me, why don't you come down with, with me this year? And I said, well, I, I, can't, I can't take the whole week off because we're going to Key West a few weeks later. But I tell you what I can do. I can come down in the middle of the week. So, you know, she'll go down on a Saturday. I'll meet you on Wednesday. I'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'll come back the following Saturday. So I take a couple days vacation. Now, the only, the only catch, Gru, who's producing the show today, was that that weekend where we come back, that is Super Bowl weekend. So if the Packers were in the Super Bowl, well, you know, you, you'd want to be home to watch it, number one. And, and number two, because, you know, we are one of the flagship stations for, for the Packers, what typically happens is over the years we've made arrangements to broadcast. I mean, the last couple of years, if the Packers had made the Super Bowl, I would be doing my show from wherever the Super Bowl was supposed to be. And if nothing else, even if I'm not doing my show there, I, I want to go see the game. So I said, okay, well, look, here's the deal. I, I will I will plan on going there, but in the event that the, the Packers make the Super Bowl, we might have to make some changes. 
Well, yesterday afternoon, I was watching the Packers play the Washington Redskins. And I understand there's only three games into it, but based on what I am seeing so far, I don't think I'm going to have to worry, honey, about changing those plane flights. I think we can plan on me being down in Florida for a couple days with you because the Packers, candidly, in my opinion, are a hot mess. Or if they're not a hot mess, they're at least a lukewarm mess. Now, I understand it's only three games in, and maybe they can turn stuff around, but it seems to me this is going to be another one of those lost seasons. Hope I'm wrong. Hope they can turn this all around. But th- this team doesn't look to me like it is going anywhere. After ma- matter of fact, this team is a lot closer to 0-3 than they are to 3-0. and But But again, things can turn around. I'm a fan. Hope it does. But I don't want to talk about the hot mess or the lukewarm mess that is the Packers. They, they didn't lose because of this play yesterday. They lost because they had over 100 yards in penalties. They lost because the defense gave up 28 points in the first half again. They lost because you've got a receiving core that can't hang on to the ball. That, that, there's, they lost because the right side of the offensive line can't block anybody. That, there's all the different reasons, and, and there's probably more than that. But... One of the things that happened, again, is at a key time in the second half, Clay Matthews makes what I I think most of us would describe as an outstanding play. He explodes. This is the type of thing he did when he first came into the league. He is, every once in a while, he is still able to make that explosive play. He comes right up the center. He makes what looks like a picture-perfect tackle on the quarterback and... There is a penalty flag thrown for 15 years, 15 yards. Mike McCarthy goes nuts on the sidelines. Matthews, they bring him out of the game, I think, because they're afraid of what he was going to say. Afterwards, um, you know, he comes out and he says, look, he, he said, I, I don't think there was anything wrong with this particular hit. He says that the NFL is getting soft after this latest penalty that he had. And he essentially says there's no harm, that there's no foul. He doesn't know what they're going to do anymore. It's essentially the NFL is so screwed up when it comes to this that the rushers don't know what they're doing. There's a story out of Miami. One of the Miami defensive linemen injured himself and is out for the year because he hit the quarterback and was trying to like make some weird sort of spin around so he didn't land on top of him, and he ended up injuring himself, hurt his knee, and now he's out for, for the year. Matthew says the NFL has gone soft. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The NFL has a lot of problems. There's no question about it. The, the controversy involving kneeling continues to, to bother them. They've got problems with, in, with players getting injured and concussions and things like that. But at the same time, I think there are issues that regulate that go to the integrity of the game. And while that play and the penalty on, on Clay Matthews didn't cost him the game yesterday, I think it's indicative of this larger issue that the NFL, the rules have become indecipherable. The idea, the thing that appealed to a lot of fans, now there's no certainty at all. You never know what's going to be a penalty, what's not going to be a penalty. And I think the NFL... Well, they're becoming a joke. It is becoming a joke. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And what is perhaps even more aggravating is just like last week, this week, the NFL stands behind these referees who are making these bad, bad calls. The NFL has to figure out what it's going to do to preserve the integrity of the game because right now, I repeat, it is a joke. And this is not 
uh, again, some bad sport. The Packers deserved to lose that game yesterday. But this is not the NFL that I think people pay big money to see or to watch. 414-799-1620. All right. If you're on the line, please hold on. We are live streaming. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Did Matthews get the short end of the stick? And bigger point, is, is this... Is it? Are you call, are you starting to lose interest in the NFL because of these phantom penalties? Because of the way the game is officiated? Because of the way the rules have changed or whatever? And again, I, I've said this before. A lot of this is about fantasy football. They want a lot of points. They want people to tune in and see. Hey, this guy threw for four hundred yards. This guy threw for three hundred eighty yards and six touchdowns. And your fantasy football team did well. But is that hurting the integrity of the game? Twelve seventeen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, look, the call on Clay Matthews didn't cost the Packers the game yesterday. All right, they, they deserve to lose the, that game. There's all sorts of reasons why. But I'm telling you, I think the NFL is becoming a joke. They, they've had more than twice the number of roughing the penalty, passer penalties called this year than last year. There's no consistency at all. Players don't know what to do, and I think it's turning people off. Lynn in Milton. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, The NFL is turning into a Sunday flag football, and they're losing me. Uh, I've just about had it. Between that and with all due respect, I know you're a former attorney, (laughs) but to have some New York attorney, was that a catch or wasn't that? (laughs) Can I just watch the game, please? Well, Well, that's it. I mean... You know, everybody knows what a catch is and what isn't, but the NFL took them years and years to figure it out. I don't know if they have that down. And and everybody knows what roughing the passer should be. Those last two weeks, those penalties on Matthews, is not roughing the passer. It's it's a legitimate football play, and they're throwing flags. Yeah. Doesn't help him. Right, exactly. No, thanks, Nicole. Plus, I mean, plus it's inconsistent. Um, you know, a, a series earlier, you have the Redskin player that, I mean, picks Rodgers up, spins him around, and kind of body slams him. They don't call that as a foul. If you're going to call a penalty, that's much more likely to me to be a penalty. But the idea is, and again, I, I go back, I think this all comes from the NFL. It's all about, it's all about fantasy football. It's all about big numbers. We want them to put up huge numbers. That's why we're calling pass interferences right and left. We want to see a lot of scoring because, uh, again, that is appealing to the fantasy football people in the world. Well, that, that's fine, but that's going to that's gonna run its course, too. 414-799-1620. Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Richard. I'm well, thanks. What do you think? Good. I'm thinking they should put two flags on each shoulder, two flags on each one of his hips, and call, call the game at that <laughs> because... That's what they're getting to, and apparently that's what the NFL wants, but they don't have the you-know-what to, to make it happen. Well, well, right. I mean, put the quarterback, if, if that's it. And look, and I understand. I mean, if, if you want... If you if you want attendance, you want to have the stars that are there. So you know you don't want the players you know getting hurt, and you don't want it to be a war of attrition. But then, yeah, put them in a red jersey, put two towels on the sides of their belt, and say, all right, you're not allowed to hit the quarterback. What you have to do is you have to grab the towel gently so as not to disturb them. And then let's let's not call it professional football. Let's call it I don't know something else. NFL flag. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. I'll right. Tell you, you know, like you said. We do we do it, we get hit, they do it, they don't get hit. Yeah, that was I mean thank I mean that I'm just but that but that again to me that underscores 
the just the, the you know you need to have a degree of certainty. I mean that look, and I understand there's always going to be bad calls. I I get that, but there needs to be a degree of certainty. People have to understand what the rules are, and the rules have to be administered. I think fairly and evenly across the board. The referee says, "I didn't see what happens to to Rogers." Well, the Rogers hit, like I said, much more egregious. Did it cost them the game? No, it didn't. But much more egregious than what Matthews did. What Matthews did was a normal, ordinary, in my opinion, football play. And I just think what's happening is, look, the NFL has problems. You know, in in Washington. I don't know if you could tell from the TV broadcast, but that stadium was about 30 to 35 to 40 percent empty, empty. And that is a, you don't have it at Lambeau Field, but it's a problem that you have at all sorts of venues across the country as people are losing interest in football. And in particular, kind of the casual fans are losing interest. And I think it's stuff like this which is contributing to that. It makes it difficult to watch a pro football game. Um, all the penalties yesterday, and I mean, I'm again, I'm not making excuses for the Packers, who I thought played undisciplined. But, you know, some of these penalties, they're kind of these, like, non-existent stuff. People don't spend $100 to go sit to a football game and watch officials throw the flag. And, and the NFL's got to get its act together. Let's talk to Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Tim. And that was a good segue up to what I'm going to say. Is the NFL, they're a business, Jeff. They understand one thing, and that's revenue. Right. And until big sponsors start pulling back ad money, you know, they're an empire, the NFL. They're $10 billion a year business with a B. Right. And until ad advertisers and sponsors start pulling back money, Jeff, they're very arrogant. They're not going to change anything, okay? Mm-hmm. But that'll get their attention once they start including tens of millions of dollars in ad revenue because that stuff rolls downhill. Well, so but, but, just- but I will tell you, Tim, it, that's not going to happen until viewers start tuning out. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and I mean, so it, it's all this thing. Once people start the casual, I mean, look, Packers fans are always going to watch the games. That, that's true. But, but it, you know, I, am I is okay after the Packers game? Am I as interested in watching? I don't know. St. Louis play some. I'm not St. Louis. Los Angeles play Los Angeles. Well, not necessarily yep. if the game becomes a joke. Well, what they're trying to do, Jeff, out of New York, is regulate and legislate a violent and physical game right. from the boardroom. That doesn't work, Jeff. In any business you're in, if your CEO isn't involved or engaged in your business, he's not listening to anybody. Right. And when viewership and ad sponsors dry up, Jeff, and trying to get their attention. That's what's going to change. We might be waiting for a while, but good, good topic. No, thanks for call. No, right. Well, exactly, and, and that, and that's just that's just what the reality is. It's the inconsistency. And again, like I say, this is now. Okay, you have two twice as many roughing the passer penalties this year as last year, and now you start to have defensive players who are getting hurt because they are putting themselves in unnatural positions. Um, making legitimate football plays in an effort to try to, I don't know, not land on the quarterback or whatever. Now, look, I thought the penalty on Rodgers last year that put him out, I thought that was a cheap shot. I thought there was malicious intent. Clay Matthews, the last two weeks, these have been football plays, period. Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. So, uh, I'm with you on the 100% on the NFL being a joke. But if you if you uh, relate backwards, I don't know if you're not a NASCAR fan. But NASCAR did this stuff every week. They changed the rules. Right. And you look in the, in the stands now, there's hardly anybody there. And I'm not there either. I used to be a, a ticket holder for Indianapolis uh, 
Uh, yeah. Every year, and I dropped everything. I don't even watch them anymore. It's, a, it's getting to be a joke. Well, well, right, because you you start changing things so quickly, and you have knee jerk responses to stuff, and then stuff is implemented inconsistently, and and a lot of the average fans say, okay, why why bother? I sent out a tweet yesterday um, that got a huge reaction. It was kind of like. If you didn't know better, you would have thought that some of these officials throwing the flags had money on the game. I mean, it was that. It was. I'm thinking this is a penalty on Clay Matthews. Give me a break. Right. Exactly. It's just getting to be terrible. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen that way. But right. Just I, well, look at what happened to NASCAR. Yep. No. Thanks for the call. I mean, maybe that is the answer. Maybe it's look <clears throat> because we're all about fantasy football and we're all about big numbers. You cannot hit the quarterback. All right. If they, if you want to make that to be the rule. Then let that be the rule. Now, does it change the game dramatically? Yes, it does. But then at least you can enforce it. All right, my text line has just exploded. Uh, let's see. Uh, the NFL stands for not for long. They are losing me. Um, you know, exactly with these different things. Um, I just think it's wrong that the NFL now calls sacking the quarterback, roughing the passer. I'm getting ready to tune out. Baseball all the way. Go Brewers. The heck with the NFL. I'm so done. Um, yes. Um, let's see. Jeff, I'm confused. When did fantasy football start paying the bills for the NFL? Your fantasy football is running the NFL, is ruining the NFL and not paying the bills. Something is very wrong. Well, see, here's what the NFL figures. We'll be able to get eyeballs. So the integrity of the game has gone downhill. We don't care about any of that. But as long as people are playing fantasy football, they'll still tune in because they want to see whether Kirk Cousins had 300 or 400 yards or whatever because they get points. That's all people care about, not the integrity of the game. Roger Goodell needs to wake up, but it starts with the team owners who need to wake up as well. And I hope you don't think this is, uh, again, just me being a poor sport because Clay Matthews got another penalty for roughing the passer. I, the Packers deserve to lose. They played a dog of a game. No offense to dogs, but that was not a penalty, period. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let me give you a little bit of a show plan. By the way, we, we only live stream the first couple segments of the program. Sometimes people email say, I wish you would do the whole program, and I'm not sure you can stand looking at me for three hours. But a half hour, that, that's kind of how we... We work it out right now. Maybe we'll consider expanding it a little bit as we move forward. Coming up about one one o five, right after the 1 o'clock news, I, I want to talk about the latest developments in the Brett Kavanaugh situation and, and where we go from here. Do Does the report in the New York Yorker magazine where another woman has, I guess, sort of kind of come forward, does that change your thinking? We're going to discuss all of that, but we're going to do it at the start of the 1 o'clock hour, so stick around for that. Hey, um, let's see. How does... How does the Brewers' division title fate look heading into the series against the Cardinals? And what went wrong for the Packers? Huh, what went right? Greg Matzik discusses it all tonight. Tune in. Sports Central starting at 6.07. Greg will take you up to our coverage of the first game. Very important game between the Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals. All right. Bill Cosby. Now, Bill Cosby, if you are, if you are my age, Bill Cosby has been a part of your life from an entertainment perspective from the the beginning. I mean, I remember as, as a kid, Bill Cosby starring with Robert Culp in the TV show I Spy. You know, I, I can remember that. I can remember, you know, Bill Cosby's comedy albums. One of the first comedy albums I got as a young kid was a Bill Cosby comedy album, and I still remember sitting there playing it and just laughing my butt off. It was just 
hysterical. And then you you had Bill Cosby who went on to create, you know, Fat Albert and you had the cartoons. And then, of course, Bill Cosby, you know, playing in the Cosby show. I, I, I was not a huge fan of that, not because I didn't like it. It's just I, I watched other stuff at the time. But there was a period of time when the Cosby show was on. That was as hot a show on TV as there was. Well, we and and Bill Cosby also became a, a spokesperson for accountability. Bill Cosby rankled some on the left for coming out and talking about, hey, you know, especially in, in urban families, the need for there to be some degree of accountability and, and the need for, you know, two-parent families and things of like, like that. So, I mean, Bill Cosby was a social commentator as well. We now know that there was another side to Bill Cosby and that going back to the 1960s, you know, Bill Cosby, well, he wasn't quite the perfect family man that, that some people might have thought he was. Uh, Bill Cosby, and there's 60-plus women have now come forward to say over the years that they had various encounters with Bill Cosby where he would give them drugs and then would take advantage of them to vary in various various forms. Um, some of the early com some of the early contact Bill Cosby acknowledged doing some of this stuff, but he said, look, this was consensual. You know, this is what we were doing in the 60s and 70s. Later on, not so much so. In any event, what's now happened is Bill Cosby last spring was convicted in connection with three counts of sexual assault involving a a woman. It occurred more than 14 years ago. She was a basketball coach at Temple. He was big, big with Temple um, in Philadelphia. She alleged that she was drugged by Bill Cosby and that he sexually assaulted her. Bill Cosby and the sentencing hearing started today. It probably won't be concluded until tomorrow. He's looking at three counts of sexual assault in connection with instances involving this woman. He faces up to 30 years in prison because the maximum penalty for each count is 10 years. If you were to run them, what they say, consecutive you serve one term, then you begin serving the next, then you begin serving the next. Theoretically, he could be looking at, at 30 years in prison. The sentencing guidelines, which are advisory, but they, they give the judge an idea of, you know, how much similar sort of offenders have gotten under the circumstances. The sentencing guidelines call for a prison sentence of one to four years. Bill Cosby is 81 years old. He is, by all all accounts, he is in poor health. He apparently is legally blind. At least that's what the claim is. This contact and the behavior involving the woman for whom Cosby was convicted of a crime occurred 14 years ago. I don't think anybody is arguing that currently at the age of 81, Bill Cosby is any sort of threat to do this type of stuff again. But... But it doesn't change the fact that he stands convicted of having done this, for uh, having committed this this crime 14 years ago. And there's all sorts of other women who say the same sort of thing. And Bill Cosby either settled cases with them or the statute of limitations has expired. But it does appear that there is a pattern and practice to this. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, but I, I, I don't want to influence your opinion. Here is my question. 
What do you do with Bill Cosby? Do you send him to prison? And the reality is, I mean, he's 81 years old. You, you send him to prison for five years. You're probably, that's effectively sending him to prison for 30 years. So that's probably a life sentence um, in prison, given his situation. Do you say, hey, he's 81 years old. He's not a threat to anyone anymore. These these criminal charges are old. What we'll do is we'll put him on probation and we'll let him live the, the rest of his life at home but under some sort of supervision. Or alternatively, do you say, hey, what this guy did was horrible. You know, we need to send a message, and that message is, Put him in an orange jumpsuit. Have him walk out of that courtroom in handcuffs. Who cares if he's 81 years old? Send him off to the penitentiary. If he dies in prison, who cares? 414-799-1620. Do you send Bill Cosby to prison when he ultimately gets around to being sentenced probably tomorrow? 414-799-1620. What would you do? I'll tell you what I would do, but I'm curious to hear from you. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to talk about this in just a moment. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Our text line has absolutely exploded. Let me give you a couple samples before we get the calls. Bill Cosby deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. He's a sex offender. Give his victims justice finally. Here's the flip side. Put him on probation and on house arrest. He should have to settle all civil suits. Well, he has a lot of those. Here's another one. Jail time, and what about a several million dollar fine to go towards victim support groups or women's shelters make him hurt in the wallet? Um, here's another one. I don't know what the maximum fine is for, for this. I doubt it's millions of dollars. Put him behind bars, 18 or 81. It's still a horrible crime. Probation for a charge like this would just be perceived as a slap on the wrist. Send Cosby to prison. Um, you do the crime, now do the time. Age should not matter. Okay, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Rosie, who's calling us from Illinois. Hi, Rosie. Hi there. How are you? I am well, thank you. All right, what should happen to Bill Cosby? He's 81 years old, presumably in bad health, no prior criminal record, but convicted of 30 years' worth of felonies for sexual assault. What do you do with him? I think it doesn't matter if he is a celebrity or not. If he's guilty and he has been found guilty by the uh, jury and the judges and so forth, I, and the evidence is there, and he has admitted and he has paid people off in the past to be quiet, I think he should have the book thrown at him. Because he's a celebrity, doesn't make a difference. Because he's 81, doesn't make a difference. I used to teach. And you try to tell these kids, right is right and wrong is wrong. And if they see these black and white in between gray color cases, well, they're going to go like, I don't have to follow the rules because look, look at this, look at that. It's really hard as a teacher to try to teach kids right from wrong when we can't show it clearly to the uh, to them as, you know, in, in, in society. Let me go back to something you said. You said, in your opinion, age doesn't doesn't matter. Do you, okay, do, do you treat, and again, we're, we're talking about somebody with no prior criminal record. Do you treat somebody True. who's 81 and in bad health the same way you treat somebody who's 31, for example? I think the crime speaks for itself. Okay. I don't think the age should make any difference at all. What And the fact that he paid people off right. to be quiet and the stuff like that, that just to me makes it sound like he's even more guilty than he wants to admit. So if you were the judge, you would put him in prison, presumably for the rest of his life? If that's the case, yes, I would. Okay. If he was 31, that would have been 30 years, but he's not 31. That's not our fault. 
Right. Okay, good enough. Thanks, Nicole. I, again, I'll tell you where I come down to this in just a minute, but I'm, I am curious. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I will say this. Typically, judges do consider age and, and health factors because, again, take my example of a 31-year-old. You can give a 31-year-old five years in prison, and they're going to get out, and they're still going to have the majority of their life in front of them. You give an 81-year-old a five-year sentence, especially if they're in bad health, and it's probably effectively a life sentence. Now, does that make any difference at the end of the day? Not necessarily, but you, you do consider individual circumstances. 414-799-1620. Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, you're the judge. Tomorrow, you got to ultimately impose a sentence. What do you do to Bill Cosby? I send him up the river. He had plenty of opportunities to make contrition, to do the right thing. Um, they played the delay game, and they could have settled this years ago and walked away with a meaningful deal. Um, they, mm-hmm. they played the game, and they lost. How... How much time do you give him? Again, the, the maximum would be 30 years. The sentencing guidelines, like I say, are somewhere between one and four. What would you do? I guess I would reply, it doesn't matter. His life is essentially over. Okay. He's, he's playing his hand. And he, at this point, he's a sex offender that's going to either die in prison or have, we'll get a bit of time out. Right. Okay, no, thanks. You're right. And he's got, regardless, um, if the conviction is affirmed, and there will be an appeal, and his attorneys will try to argue that he should stay out of prison on appeal. I'm not sure how that's going to be viewed by the judge. Typically, I will tell you, my reaction to these things is once you're convicted and once you're sentenced, don't pass go, you know, go to prison. That that's that is typically what my reaction would be. But I can tell you the attorneys are going to be asking, hey, stay the sentence pending appeal. The appeal could drag on well, a year, two years, three years. My guess is the judge isn't going to allow that to happen if the judge decides on that he's got to send him to prison for a significant period of time. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Roger in Green Bay. Roger, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. What do you think? Hello, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for the calling. First thing that, well, you're welcome. The first thing that occurs to me is, as a taxpayer, and I realize that's not Wisconsin. Okay, but if it was in Wisconsin, me as a taxpayer, I'm going to say, this guy's 81 years old. Judge, please take into account what the end-of-life medical costs are going to be to the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. And, yes, give him some prison time, but give him just a little bit, enough to you know, put the frosting on the cake of, his, of ruining his life, which is what he deserves as a convicted rapist, but give him a big, fat fine. That mm-hmm. would make more sense. And then just trust that the civil suit lawyers will finish off the task. But that would be my thoughts on it. Right. Okay. Good enough. Thanks, Scott. In other words, there's the, the argument would be okay, given all the added costs of the end of the life thing, and given the fact that Bill Cosby really probably doesn't forget probably really doesn't pose, I think, a danger to the community at this point in time. The crime that he was convicted of was 14 years ago. You send him to prison because you want to that you want to be a penalty sort of thing, but it it doesn't have to be essentially a life sentence. You want to send a message that this is unacceptable, but um, not saddle the taxpayers with paying for Bill Cosby's medical treatment um, when bad things happen. 414-799-1620. Steve in Plymouth. Steve, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Oh, all right, lost Steve there. Let's talk to Jim. Uh, Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jim from Pipe. Jim from Pipe. Where is Pipe? North. Uh, east of Fond du Lac, tiny little cool town. Okay, no, it, it's funny. My my producer had, had put up Jim from Pipe, and I've 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 been in most places in the state of Wisconsin, and I I, I thought that must have been a typo, but it's not. I got to apologize to him. You're really oh, from Pipe, okay? Yeah, swing by, swing by, and going up to the Packers game. There's a really great restaurant just north of there. What's it? Okay, Everybody's what's it? What's it near? I'm just. In, what's it near? It's between Brother, well, Stockbridge and Okay. Oh, I know where Stockbridge is. Okay. All right. Pipe. Okay. See, Jim, this is great. I try to learn something new every day. You have now helped me learn where Pipe, Wisconsin is. Okay. I'm sorry. What do you do with Bill Cosby? I think uh, he did the crime. He's guilty. We need to lock him up. And one other thing, I know I, like you, grew up with him, too, but uh, everybody thinks uh, his character was so great in the movies, but he also had other activities he was doing. Uh, like hanging out at the Playboy Mansion and stuff like that, dating yeah. himself. So yeah, no, I there's don't know. yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, Bill Bill Cosby was a um, product of Hollywood in the '60s and, and '70s. Now, thanks for calling. That's and that's where that's where a lot of like the Quaalude stuff and look that, that you know that that's from what I've read. You know, that was the thing where you know you had this kind of open drug culture and things like that, and, and Bill Cosby was clearly a part of that. Okay, what? What do I think should happen? And this isn't necessarily a prediction of what will happen, but this is what I think should happen. He has to go to prison. I, I mean, he, he has to go to prison. I, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that he's 81 years old. I appreciate that he's had a, a model life as far as philanthropy goes. But this, number one, is a horrible crime. And number two, it's not a one-off. I mean, there, there's... We're not talking about somebody. We're not. We're going to discuss Brett Kavanaugh in the next segment of the program. But we're not talking about that. There's no question. You have fifty or sixty women who have come forward, and they've all told variations of the same story. Now, maybe there's not fifty or sixty. Maybe there's thirty, and and maybe of those. Some of it was consensual. Hey, this is the 60s or 70s. You know, we took these, we knowingly took the quaaludes. This is kind of how, how we did things back then. But there, there's enough of these allegations that are out there that tell me that Bill Cosby was a major league creep who was doing stuff like this on a regular basis. So I, I, he has got to go to prison. Now the question becomes, you know, what, what do you do? How long do you send him to prison, given his age, his lack of prior record, etc.? And And the truth of the matter is, you, you send him to prison, if I am the judge, and the sentencing guidelines, and I understand you could give him 30 years, if I am a judge and the sentencing guidelines, that what they say is, you know, the recommended range for somebody in his category is somewhere between one and four years, I err on the high side. I, I send him to prison for three or four years. And then say, okay, when you get out, if you're still alive, when you're 84 or 85, I also, I, I fine the cheese out of him. I don't know what the maximum fine is, but I impose the maximum fine. I send him to prison for somewhere between three and four years. And then you say, okay, after that, if you're still alive, you're on parole, you're a registered sex offender, you have to report in, do things like that. I, I don't think you can treat this as a case of state straight probation, especially given all the other allegations that are out there. It is a sad, unfortunate end for a guy who I think did a lot of good stuff. But just like we hear often, um, the Bill Cosby in public, the, the Cliff Huxtable of the TV show, that wasn't the Bill Cosby in private. So if I'm the judge, 
I am sending him to prison, not for 30 years, but I'm sending him to jail for several years, three, four years, which I would consider to be a significant sentence. If he's still alive at the age of 85, well, then he can go back to his mansion in Philadelphia after paying a substantial fine. 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back after the 1 o'clock news, we're going to talk about the latest developments in the Brett Kavanaugh case. If if this whole thing isn't a mess, it'll do till a real mess gets here. Stick around. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, did you, uh, I assume you watched the Packers game yesterday? Saw parts of it, yes. Of, did you see the injury to, to Muhammad Wilkerson? Yes. Yeah, it's, you know, I, 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 you know it's bad when they, they, they take him off the field in the cart and then they take him to the hospital. Right. I mean, that, right. that just tells you that. And it, it's one of those things where I, um, and of course he was hit by his own player, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that Kentrell Bryce who is, a Packers liability, in my opinion. Anyways, but I, I, I well, well, he, he is, he's had a couple really, really bad games, <laughs> and and you know, and, and he's. But regardless of that, you know, football is the is the one game where, in particular, I don't think anybody could ever begrudge these guys any any money they make because it really is one play, and, and your yep. season is over. Your career could be over, and I, I, nobody. I mean, you hope that's not the case with with Wilkerson, but that's that's a serious injury, and you know it's it's a long comeback from something like that. And oftentimes, once you're cut, you're cut too. I mean, and teams don't usually cut a player who's injured, you know, the next day, right. but eventually they do end up releasing these guys. Well, right. Well, he was in Green Bay on a on a one year contract, yeah. essentially trying to. I mean, his career had kind of taken a, a downturn. He was trying to. Say okay, look, I, I've still I've got a lot of great stuff. He was playing for a big free agent mm-hmm. contract, mm-hmm. and that's out the window now. Right. So assuming assuming that he can come back and play, he's still you've got the long rehab, and then you still got to try to prove yourself. It's it, it's just it's the nature of football. So for anybody who says ah they don't deserve that money, all you have to do is look at the potential for that. Hmm. Um, so we but I Mohammed Wilkerson was off to a really really good yeah, start. Just another blow there. All right. Over the weekend, if you thought the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation stuff could not get weirder, it got weirder. Now, one of the things that I have been saying since this, these allegations of the, you know, did he, did he grope some woman back when he was 17 and she was 15? One thing I've been saying is that typically when you have allegations like this, you have a pattern and a practice. We talked about Bill Cosby in the last half hour of the show. There's over 60 women who have come forward and said in various forms, Bill Cosby slipped me drugs and, you know, we, and then, and then groped me or fondled me or had sex with me or whatever. Well, I, again, I, I don't know if you believe all the women. I'm not saying that they're automatically all telling the truth. Some of the stuff could have been consensual. But when you see this many people coming forward and telling a similar story, it, it gives a credibility to any individual person that comes forward and, and tells their story. One of the things that's been out there with Brett Kavanaugh is there's been nobody, nobody who has made a similar sort of allegation. And again, typically when you have somebody who would be a serial assaulter, you would expect there to be a, a lot like that. So you, you know that ever since the first, ever since this letter, from uh, Christine Blasey Ford, which was sent in July to the Democrats, you know that they have been looking hard and long to try to find somebody who tells a similar story. So over the weekend, in the New Yorker magazine, 
a piece by Ronan Farrow, who was the guy that broke the Harvey Weinstein story, runs. Now, here's the headline, and it's interesting the way they've written the headline. The headline says, Senate Democrats investigate a new allegation of sexual misconduct from Brett Kavanaugh's college years. Um, notice how they've written, and they, they've, they wrote this to avoid lawsuits. Senate Democrats investigate a new allegation of sexual misconduct. The reason they are writing it in that fashion is they're not prepared to stand behind the accuser. I mean, here's here's the deal. The accuser in this case is a woman who went to Yale with Judge Kavanaugh, and she says that during a drunken dormitory party their freshman year, he exposed himself to her, thrust his penis into her face, sorry for being graphic, and caused her to touch it without her consent. Um, Judge Kavanaugh denies this. The New Yorker did not and could not confirm with other eyewitnesses that Judge Kavanaugh was even at the party. The New York Times, well, this is what the New York Times, which certainly has not been a, a friend of Judge Kavanaugh, they got this story, too. They were apparently tipped off on this as well. And they say they have interviewed several dozen people over the past week in an attempt to corroborate the woman's story. And they could find no one, no one with firsthand knowledge. The woman herself contacted former Yale classmates asking if they recalled the incident and told some of them that she could not be certain that Mr. Kavanaugh was the one who exposed himself. So you have the, this second woman that's now come forward, but she's like, well, we were drinking. She says, I, I can't be sure that it was him, or at least at one point in time, she's not sure it was him. There's nobody out there that corroborates this story at all. And so that's why the New York Times chose not to run with it. It's why the New Yorker magazine portrays it not as woman alleges sexual misconduct by Kavanaugh, but they say Senate Democrats investigate a new allegation of sexual misconduct, which is, you know, kind of a Weasley word of saying that they're they're investigating, but nobody can confirm this. And and just like with the, the first allegations, there are there are no witnesses. But this is a second instance probably like a year or two later, where a woman says, well, it might have been Kavanaugh, I can't be sure, we were all drinking, nobody remembers him being at the party, but it was drunken bad behavior. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As it stands now, the first accuser is scheduled to testify on Thursday. Judge Kavanaugh, is scheduled to testify on Thursday. I don't know that you're going to plow any ground at new ground. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, it, they say we want investigations. Well, th- there's no witnesses to this. It's, she's going to tell her story. He's going to deny it. I, I don't know that you're going to advance it, but I think it's important that she get an opportunity to tell her story. But here's my question. Where, where do we go from here? I really don't think we're going to know any more about this guy. Um, and these allegations on Friday than we do today. I, I just don't. Some people are going to believe the woman. 
Some people are going to believe Judge Kavanaugh. Some people are going to believe this stuff in the New Yorker magazine. Somebody else, ah, there it is. Wagner, you've been talking about a pattern in practice, and there, there it is. You've got some other woman who says he might have been the one that behaved in a boorish, offensive fashion at this uh, this party, but she can't be sure that, that it's him. All right, where do we go? Is it time for President Trump to pull the Kavanaugh nomination? Is it time to just simply say, enough is enough, we need to move on, I'm going to ask him to step aside, I'm going to pull this nomination, and we'll find somebody else. Where do we go from here? Is Brett Kavanaugh worth fighting for? Is he being railroaded? And even if he is being railroaded, all right, just politically, is it time to move to plan B? What should happen now? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss in just a moment. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, why hasn't anybody talked about the 75 to 100 women who have known Kavanaugh since high school or interned for him or worked for him and held a press conference supporting him? I haven't seen this on television or on the radio, but there are the videos are out there. Yeah, there there are. Um, another text. President Trump should not ask Judge Kavanaugh to step aside. The Democrats will find any reason not to confirm his choice. Another text. Don't confirm him, and the Democrats will do the same thing to the next person Trump appoints. Have we learned nothing? Democrats will go as low as they have to to win. Democrats will do anything to stop Trump. This is more proof of that. Um, yeah, if 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 Brett Kavanaugh were pro-abortion as opposed to anti-abortion, I, I do wonder if you'd have the, the same the same level of, of outrage. Just wondering. All right, but where do we go from here? This is the reality that we have where the Supreme Court term starts next week. We are a little over a month away from the midterm elections. Obviously, Democrats want to delay this. If you were to pull the Kavanaugh nomination, could you get somebody confirmed by the end of the year? Yes, you could. But um, that would be, I think, a challenge. Carla in Kenosha. Carla, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Car- Carla? Yes, here Hi. I am. Hi, Carla. What do you think? What what should happen now? Well, they should go ahead with this Mickey Mouse hearing. But then this woman and the new woman who has just come up need to either prove it or be sued for defamation of character. Every Republican or conservative who tries to run for anything, they try this smear campaign on. When these women get punished for smear campaigns, when they're totally unfounded like these are, no way to prove anything, but I'm going to throw out an allegation. Mm -hmm. If they can't prove anything at all, then they need to keep their mouths shut. Because if you're just going to throw out slanderous things like this, you need to be hit with libel and slander suits. Well, the problem, That's- though, is it's tough. It's always tough to prove a negative. Carla, what do you say to the, the people that you see on TV, many, many, many of whom are women, saying a woman shouldn't have to prove this? In the, the mere fact that she makes the allegation, that in and of itself, you, you have to believe her. Why? Okay. Because... That whole team that got suspended because that woman made it alive. The Duke lacrosse team, yep. Yeah. I mean, I can say Obama raped me. Does that mean that the world should believe it? Um, no, thanks. I, 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 and as a matter of fact, 
you you had several women who I'm not sure if they actually used the word rape, although I think one or two did, who said that about Bill Clinton. And back back in the 90s, we were told that they were lying and that um, even if he had engaged in sexual misconduct, it didn't make any difference. But I'm, I mean, but th- this is the reality. OK, we'll be back with more calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Where do we go from here? 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 26, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Laura in Milwaukee. Laura, thank you for waiting. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. As a woman, I hope that we've gone beyond the Anita Hill stage where we don't acknowledge them or pay attention to them and just let it slide right through. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and whether you're a Republican or Democrat, I don't think it matters. I don't know how we got a president who is the worst of any party. Well, let, let, let's terms, let, but let's say let's say focused on on the Brett Kavanaugh allegations. So, okay. so you, 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 let's say you have a hearing time, on Thursday. This yeah. lady comes forward. She she tells he, her story. He no says one, it didn't happen. What what do we do then? No one that I can't. You can't imagine someone coming forward knowing. They're going to get death threats. Their family's going to get death threats. Why would anybody come forward unless it was true? So the the fact that she makes the allegations in and of itself, we, we believe her. We have to believe her. I'm not saying that. You can believe whatever you want, but no one would want to be in that position. That's why. And, and I kind of resent it when you say, Oh, well, if it's true, then so many people would come forward because it's not true that so many people would come forward. Well, I mean, no, but right, would, well, no, what, no, what, what I said, no, what, what I said, Laura, was I said, typically, when you have allegations that somebody is an abuser doing something like this, there, there tends to be lots and lots of people like a Bill Cosby or Ivy Weinstein. Well, okay. Well, I, I, I understand it. It's possible it could be a one off, but I guess my question would be if, if it is, and it has nothing to do with Brett Kavanaugh. Right. I'm just saying in general that isn't necessarily But true. if it is that one-off, we automatically then have to believe that, that No, person? I think you have to listen to them. Oh, sure. I don't disagree. I, okay, thanks. I mean, I don't disagree. I, I think you have to listen to them. I, I guess my, my question becomes, though, where do you end up going from here? Because I, I'll tell you the way this all plays out. She comes in. She testifies. She'll tell her her story, and and I, I assume it's going to be similar to what you know she said before that she didn't tell anybody about this until 2012 when it came out in this couples therapy sort of thing. Um, that she didn't tell any of her friends. That there's no contemporaneous witnesses. He's going to say it didn't happen. Um, I mean, seriously, where do you go from there? I mean, do you say, well, the allegation itself is serious enough to derail a Supreme Court nomination? I mean, I guess that's the where do we go? Because I, I don't know that we're going to know any more come the end of this hearing on, on Thursday afternoon than, than we do today. But but is this a matter? Is Brett Kavanaugh so incredibly tainted that now you know he, he you can't move forward? And and as far as Laura's question, you know, why do you come forward? I I don't know. Could could the woman be misrep- misremembering things? Could the encounter have been different? Then she remembers it. I, we all, even with, even with you know somewhat traumatic situations or significant traumatic situations, after thirty some years, 
you know, you, you, you remember things differently. I, I'm just, I'm trying for explanations. I don't know why she comes forward, but at the same time, th- does that mean that you automatically have to believe her? We're going to continue this topic for one more segment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a text here. Jeff, the corroboration of Dr. Ford's statement is the fact that she identified Kavanaugh by name to her psychologist, sexual therapist, and husband decades before he was nominated. No, I, actually, this came out in, in 2012, uh, and, and it's true. He hadn't been nominated to the Supreme Court then, but he was he was on what was being described as a short list. He was already on the federal appellate bench, and he was on kind of like the short list for the Supreme Court should Republicans take over. But it, it's true. She first raised his name to her therapist in 2012, her statement there, though, said there were four guys. Now she says there were two. But but regardless, when I say there's no corroboration, I mean there's no corroborating witnesses. There's no contemporaneous sort of statements. It's all you have is she saying this happened to me. I didn't tell anybody at the time, and I, I first revealed it in 2012. But at the same time, that this is the court of public opinion. And is, is Brett Kavanaugh so hopelessly tainted that the best thing to do would be to say, okay, we're, we're going to – we're going to pull the nomination. President Trump send another name up there, and we'll see what happens to that one. Is that how he should proceed? Josh and Oconomowoc. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. So, I, I okay. I pretty much think that this is all kind of political. Like, I don't. I. Where do we go from kind, here? Kind of political. <laughs> you think it's kind of political? political. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's it. It does seem like, um, and I like what another caller kind of pointed out, but it does seem like. Um, it's more on the Republican side with like the sexual assault thing and like, yeah, okay. Bill Clinton had his thing, but I think it's more, especially nowadays, it's more on the Republican side of things. I think we should just stick with Kavanaugh. Um, I think that he would make a very good um, Supreme court justice um, because I don't think the case is going to hold that much water. Like, I mean, if, if the story can't be corroborated, number one and number two, she's like, she's already changed it. Yeah, well, and the story's not going to be able to be corroborated. No, thanks for calling. I mean, look here, the story, the reality is the story is not going to be able to be corroborated. If it, if it could have been, and of course, she through her attorney and her attorney saying, oh, we, it's not our job to corroborate these things. You know, she's entitled to be believed, period. And, and I mean, I understand why would somebody come forward? I don't know why would somebody would come forward and make these allegations, but we do know that there are, and again, the Duke Lacrosse case is the classic example of that. We do know that there are false accus- there are false accusations are made. We do know that there's there's misrecollection of things, and, and and so that's just the reality. At the same time, and and by the way, I, I was kind of chuckling when you said maybe it's a little politics. Uh, the, Diane Feinstein had the letter from this lady in July. If if this was if this was sincere, let's get to the bottom of this. I mean, th- this could have been raised in July. The, you could have given Judge Kavanaugh a chance to address it in private meetings or in his last hearings. I mean, clearly the timing of this all was all political. Let's wait until the 11th hour, because what we're in right now is we're in the stall mode. We want to try to see if we can get Kavanaugh's name taken out, and if President Trump sends up another name, 
Well, then that's going to let us stall until after the midterm elections. Then we can make an argument if the Republicans somehow lose control of the Senate. Well, then we can make an argument that the uh, people who are leaving shouldn't vote on the Supreme Court nominee on who the new one might be. I mean, clearly there's politics there. Doesn't necessarily mean this woman is lying. But the truth of the matter is you're never going to get to the bottom of this one way or the other. I I mean, you're uh, unless she comes forward and says, I made this all up. Or he comes forward and says, you know what, I've been lying, I, I did all this. It's always going to be this he said, she said thing. You know, if, if the allegations had surfaced back when they were conducted, if the allegations, I don't know, if he had, if this is something he had done in the last couple of years, you might be able to verify it. You're never going to get any sort of satisfaction on this. The question becomes, is, is it so political now? Is Judge Kavanaugh tainted? I was watching this thing. I don't know why I watch this. It just makes me nuts. But the thing called the circus, which is the the thing that Showtime does, and it's very, very, as you might expect, very, very left-leaning and all. And, and they were showing a lot of stuff of the Anita Hill controversy. And, of course, the conventional wisdom is, well, Clarence Thomas should have never gone on to the Supreme Court. Uh, Anita Hill was was just telling the truth all along, and this has been this outrage. And I would just kind of th- – this is at least, at least with Clarence Thomas. All right, you had – there, there was some evidence that said, okay, that, that he had gone to pornographic movies or, or whatever. At least there was something that was out there. In, in this case, there, there's, there's absolutely nothing. 414-799-1620. But, but what do you, I mean, wh- where do you go from here? Is it time for the president just to simply say, I think this is unfortunate. I think this man is, is not getting a fair shake, but nevertheless, because there's all these allegations that are out there and he's going to be on the Supreme Court for maybe the next 20 or 30 years, I don't want him taking office under a cloud, so I'm pulling his nomination and I'm sending somebody else's name up there. Kathy in Milwaukee. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi, Kathy. What do you think? I, I feel that it's kind of unfair to him because both of them were minors at the time, and I'm assuming the other men are there were minors. So while it's going to go here as a minor and accuse a minor of something, where it could have went both ways. They both could have been at fault for something. They were minors, and we probably learned from that. But I wouldn't. I, I just can't say that that's fair for her to do this at this point because they both were 16 years old. They were minors at the time. You know? Yeah, well, he would have been 17, she would have been 15. But yes, they'd both be minors. Right, right, so. right. And the statute of limitation based on six months into her whatever birthday. Yeah, look that. Right. But in, in Maryland, where they, where they reside, or if it's that important to her once she filed charges there's no statute of limitations in Maryland. i looked it up okay. right well let me ask you this question kathy then i mean the, the question one of our first female callers raised this point knowing that you were if you raise the the guy the man is in line to be an associate justice of the supreme court you know there's going to be incredible controversy we understand what politics is like nowadays why Why would a woman make an allegation like this if it wasn't true? Well, I'm not saying it's not true, but what are you going to do with two minors at that point, okay? Mm-hmm. They're both for minors, and I don't want someone to tell me, oh, Kathy, 36 years ago, your son, so-and-so, you want to take up for your son, yeah. your child. You know what I'm saying? And, and file it in Maryland. File right. it in Maryland. Okay, she stays in California. He still lives in Maryland. 
was running for judge, or she's been following him, and maybe this triggered something, it triggered something in her head, I got to do this now, now or never, okay? Or she might have been having problems in her relationship, and then she started coming back to thinking, I believe something might have happened, but you and a minor, both y'all are teenagers at the time, okay? So she should address it with the state of Maryland, file charges with Maryland, and that role for She doesn't want to file charges, but she wanted to get this case going, and if there's an admission of anything, then she got a case to take it to, to Maryland from there. You know right. what I'm saying? They can I, I do. Okay. All right. Thanks for coming. I, I still think, I, I don't think there, well, look, the, the bottom line of this is statute of limitations notwithstanding. There, there's no way you can prosecute on, on something like this. You have to be able to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt. And and there, there, there's clearly, in a, that's the criminal context, there's clearly reasonable doubt in something like this. I mean, you, you never get a conviction based on this. But having said that, this this is not a criminal we're not in a criminal setting. I mean, people say, well, people are innocent until proven guilty. Well, yes and no. That In, in a criminal case, you, you are. But th- this isn't criminal. This is the world. This is public opinion. Um, sometimes merely the allegation can, can be enough to put a taint on somebody. So it's, it's not like, uh, again, a, a criminal matter. And I guess that's to me the question. Here, here's what I think would happen. I think, I think it would be a travesty. If Judge Kavanaugh were forced to step down, I, I, I do, because I, I think for a variety of reasons, the, the, the fact that you have an uncorroborated allegation of misbehavior from 30 some years ago, I, I think if that's enough to derail you, well, I mean, then it's pretty much enough to derail, you know, a- anybody. And again, I, I go back to the uncorroborated thing. If he did this, I, I'm certainly not going to stand by him. But I just don't know how you prove that one way or or the other. And, and this is, at best, it is an uncorroborated sort of, of allegation. It th- Things have evolved. There's no question about it. And it is interesting to me to see a lot of the same people who vigorously defended Bill Clinton who are, are now, oh, gee, this, this is terrible, you know, and he's he's got to go. And that the misconduct of Bill Clinton, trust me, was, was corroborated and was a, a lot worse without condoning any of the allegations against Kavanaugh. What I will be inclined to see, there's a lot of pressure being brought on a handful of Republican senators, particularly the two female senators, one from Maine and one from Alaska, to, to get them to, I don't know, decide that they're not going to support him, at which point in time, then, then you start to get into a numbers game. Um, at this point in time, I hope Republicans stick to their guns. Now, maybe something that's going to happen, maybe there's going to be some other smoking gun that's out there. Candidly, this report in the New Yorker magazine over the weekend, I, I'm inclined to discount that. The New York Times didn't even find that to be substantial enough to, to print it. Maybe there's going to be something that happens on Thursday. I think she certainly should be given the opportunity to testify. I don't know that it's going to get us anywhere. And, and after that, people are going to have a very, very tough time deciding. But if I were President Trump, I guess I'd have another nominee in my pocket, you know, in case something happens. I, at some point in time, you just wonder whether Brett Kavanaugh says enough is enough. So this is, you know, this has been terrible. I feel that I've been a victim of one of the most vicious slanders imaginable. And while I want to try to fight to continue to clear my name, the, the reality is I understand in today's hyper-political environment that that is never going to happen. So I'm, I'm going to stand down, and I'm sorry, Mr. President. Could I see something like that happen? Maybe. I, I don't know Brett Kavanaugh that well. But I will tell you this. For anybody who's thinking about getting into public life nowadays, these are the instances that, that really, you know, make, make you start, start to think about 
gee, is there anything in my past that could possibly be construed in a negative fashion? Or am I willing to put up with, in the event that this woman is misremembering, and I'm not saying that, but that she necessarily is, but misremembering or is just plain making it up, how, where do you go to get your name back? And that's the, that is the one unfortunate thing about this, especially if this did not happen precisely as the lady alleges. Where does Brett Kavanaugh go to get his reputation back? And the answer is there's nowhere. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stay tuned. We'll continue to analyze this all week. And I guarantee you, Thursday is going to be an amazing day in in American jurisprudence and American politics. I if she testifies, I guarantee you it's gonna be it is going to be political theater of the highest order. One forty seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One fifty one, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Will Brett Kavanaugh be the next US Supreme Court Justice? Scott Warris is in for John Mercure. He has the latest on the Kavanaugh Kavanaugh Ford saga today. Tune in three thirty four on Wisconsin's afternoon news. All right. Gru, who's producing the show today and always. I know you were out of town over the weekend, but but as you were driving back from where you were, did you hear this like loud crash that kind of sounded like a bomb going off on the way back? You didn't hear that, huh? Well, you must not have been listening very carefully because there was there was a a big bomb that that went off over the weekend. It was it was kind of like a, a imagine like a, a giant. A giant hen laying a giant egg. Boom. What was that? Well, all right. Uh, Michael Moore. You know, Michael Moore, the, I don't know, sort of self-proclaimed angry liberal, you know, walking around with the baseball cap and not caring about how he looks and not caring, too busy to get a haircut, that kind of Michael Moore. Well, he he had a big movie. Got a, they, they spent a lot of money advertising him. He had a, a big movie that, that dropped over the weekend. Fahrenheit 11.9, which was um, sort of a sequel to his, his expose movie that he did about the Bush administration called Fahrenheit 9.11. So anyhow, the, the movie came out, and they they anticipated that, well, it would earn, I guess, a little bit of money. It tanked big time. Now, now Michael Moore documentaries – Unless you're like a hardcore angry lefty, it, they really don't do that well to begin with. But it's two of his more successful ones. Was original one, Roger and Me, um, set in Flint, Michigan, and then uh, the, the anti-Bush diatribe. I mean, that did okay. Fahrenheit eleven nine. They anticipated uh, this could do somewhere between five to to ten million dollars. It did. Under three million bucks. Um, under three million bucks. Um, it was just a complete and a total bomb. Um, nobody that saw. Well, I won't say nobody, but very few people saw it. And of those ones that saw it, almost nobody really enjoyed it. The problem is, of course, that that Michael Moore had just been unable to reinvent himself. He's been doing the same sort of, like, angry and at the same time bemused lefty stuff. He's been doing it for 25 or 30 years, and now you don't need to see Michael Moore. All you got to do is turn into, tune in to, you know, Rachel Maddow on, on MSNBC, and you see the same stuff or perhaps even more extreme, and you see it every night for whatever your monthly cable bill charges you. That's the bottom line here. So... This, will I say this is the official end of Michael Moore? 
as a documentary filmmaker, well, well, no, you know, he's going to be kind of hanging around. But for people who take Michael Moore seriously, bottom line is he had originally said if he gets any problems as related to this, he's prepared to move to Canada. Unfortunately, I don't think Michael Moore is going to be moving to Canada because not enough people paid money to see this thing to really care. <laughs> That's just kind of like the, the bottom line. This isn't going to be controversial because nobody watched it. And I don't think that's going to change. Michael Moore lays a massive egg with his expose of the Trump administration. Gee, who would have, who could be surprised by that? It's 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, is it true? Is it true that if you're in a relationship, you put on weight? Stick around. 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Melissa, should we, should we go through the, the love weight thing here? Let's do that. All right, so here's the deal. And actually, this, it's a survey. Jenny Craig is the one that sponsored this. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe there's a little bit of bias here, but they studied 2,000 people, and they found that the average respondent had gained 36 pounds since they first started dating their current partner. Um, they, they estimate that 80% of, of Americans are carrying around what they call a bit of love weight. So, okay, the average, average 36 pounds, 17 pounds of which were gained in the first year alone. Men were much more likely to report a weight gain during the first year than women. Um, the research, okay, the, the first thing was, um, an increase in, again, starting a new relationship, people going out to dinner and things like that. And that so, makes sense. Yeah. Or ordering in or whatever you do. Right. Um, second biggest reason was, was drinking together, you know, like going out to bars Having or whatever. Having some wine or Right, that, that type of stuff, which which adds all that. Um, let's see. Then, 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 uh, they say the comfort zone, which starts to occur after <laughs> one year and five months. We all know what that is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the comfort zone essentially saying, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin, yeah. you know, so I don't have to... Not too about, worried exactly what you look like every day, maybe uh, sweatpants. Yeah. I don't know. Here's what's interesting. Individuals aged 18 to 24 reached the comfortable phase of their relationship the quickest at just over 10 months, while those aged 45 to 54 took the longest to reach this phase, clocking in at nearly a year and a half before they felt comfortable. Getting married is another surprisingly common weight trigger. 57% of respondents admitting they encountered some weight gain within the first year of marriage, 17 years on average, 17 pounds on 17 average. 17 pounds. That's a lot of weight. Don't you think? I think 36 oh. pounds. That seems like a tremendous but, amount. But. Right, but that's over the period of years. Right, but, right, but right. 17 in the first year. Now, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will, as, as you were asking, you're right. I, I have not, I, I don't think I've gained any weight since I don't think you yeah. But no, in, in fairness, and actually one of our, our friends, Colleen, just she texted me and they said, the reason you haven't gained weight is your wife doesn't let you have any sweets. <laughs> and if you bring any into the house, she hides them on you, which is absolutely true. Yeah. But it, it's in my case, it's not because of weight. It's because of um she's concerned she wants me to eat healthier right you know so it's like you you really brought cookies we don't need cookies in the house and so so it's it it's she's hiding my food out of love do you know where (laughs) she hides them no as a matter of fact it's funny you should mention this because there was something about a week or so oh okay i i I bought (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm over i'm over at the grocery store and i'm buying good stuff yeah but they had oreo cookies on sale okay Mm. so i would and they were like on sale for like two bucks or 2.99 i bought a thing of oreo cookies and 
and I and I but I was going to eat them over a period of time. She hid my Oreo cookies on me, and I couldn't find them. And I, I mean, I and <laughs> it got to a point where I, I'd gone through the, the you know, it's a relatively new house, so I mean, it's it's not like I've been there for thirty years, but I couldn't find them. I went through all the different cabinets to the point. That I was thinking of going out and getting another thing of Oreo cookies. I was going to say you could keep them at your desk at work. But, but I'm sorry, but I'm not Fran. supposed to eat them. No, no, I'm, but yeah. I'm not supposed to eat them. So I'm, right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do now. No, our producer grew. You, you know, you're you and Mrs. Grew. At least we won't talk about Mrs. Grew, but you, you, you've added some weight, huh? Since you've been in a relationship. Oh no, you're. <clears throat> Right, well, 140. Yeah, he just said he he said yes. Ruth said he's been around 140. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I he's okay with saying his weight. I, I a lot think, of people would. I don't think I've been. I haven't <laughs> been at 140 since I was a senior in high school. I don't right. think 140. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Yeah. So, but you buy into this. This. this I do. I thing. agree. But I also think. I mean, you can gain that weight, but then at some point, you're like, wait a second. You kind of realize that you've gained a little bit of the weight, and then you remember. I don't feel quite as well, right. and then you go and exercise a little bit more. Well, and, right, it, it, and I'm I'm actually kind of at that stage now. I mean, I guess I I'd like to lose about ten pounds. I, I mean, I think that's kind of you know you you look at some of these charts where it has your ideal weight. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, yeah. if if I lost forty pounds, people would think I was sick. You know, right? But, you know, that, that's kind of unreasonable. But you know, a, a, a little bit off. I think your body knows where it feels comfortable. I think I would feel a little bit more, com- like you, 10 pounds would, would feel great. You know, I would feel more comfortable, but. Got it. Yeah, we all got that. Okay, well, so that's it. But it, yes, it's, it's. But again, my, my friend <laughs> Love is. Love weight. My, my friend is exactly right. I'm not gaining weight because my wife is hiding all the good stuff. There, and, that's, and, it, and, it, and it is done out of love. There's just no question about it. That's so cute. that works. All right, let us get started. The, there, ever since. Ever since the Foxconn deal was announced down in Racine County, there are a number of people who I, I think I think decided this was an opportunity for them to make a bunch of money because Foxconn needed space. So the idea is you had a lot of landowners there that decided, all right, we, we've we've got land, the land is in demand. And what we want to do is we want to try to, to sell it for as much as possible, which, I, I, I mean, I don't fault that. that. that That's fine. If they're going to take our land, well, we want as much as possible for it. And I, I think in general, when you look at the prices that are being paid and is being paid for land, it's been extremely, extremely generous. But people have decided, you know, we, we want even more money, and let's try to get as much as we can. Well, all right, there, there's another controversy there's there's a family that owns about 400 areas in the Foxconn development area, and they're trying to block Mount Pleasant from taking a slice of their property via eminent domain. Eminent domain is the, the law that allows the public, that allows the government to come in and take private property for the public good, the idea being... Well, we, we need to widen the road. So what's going to happen is, in order to widen the road, we've got to take the property on either side of the road um, so we, we have space. And then what eminent domain says is that you have to pay that person a fair market value. Um, we need to put up a, a new school. And the best location for the school is X in, you know, in this part of town. So you know, we're going to take that property and we're going to pay people what it's worth. Well, anyhow, that's been going on with with Foxconn. There's these folks that own 
Um, in, and again, it's in the Mount Pleasant area. They own about 400 acres, which isn't in the primary factory site, but it, it's kind of an adjacent area that is earmarked for future Foxconn expansion. And, you know, they say, you know, we don't want to sell for $50,000 an acre, more than $220 million. Now that, that, that price is, is way more than the land would be worth absent Foxconn. But Foxconn, you know, increases the value. They're saying, no, we shouldn't be forced to give this up. Now, the law on eminent domain, the state law, which is, of course, consistent with Supreme Court rulings, the law says that the government can come in and can take property um, if the property is blighted. Now, this isn't something that they need for the road or something like that, but they can take the property if it's, if it's blighted. And the law says something is blighted or can be considered to be blighted if it is predominantly open. In other words, not built on, so you're talking agricultural land, and for any reason substantially impairs or arrests the sound growth of the community. Now, that's very, very broad, because normally when you think of property being blighted, you think of, I don't know, something in an urban area, the buildings are falling down, they're vacant, something like that. But blighted means more than that. Under the law in Wisconsin, blighted means if it's undeveloped land, if the land is open, and essentially if the land, by keeping it open, impairs the growth of the community. In other words, Foxconn is a better source than this open agricultural land. Right? Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this family who owns these 400 acres, they're, they're fighting Mount Pleasant. They don't want Mount Pleasant to be able to take their property and give them $50,000 an acre, which is more than $20 million. I think ultimately they think, it, it, I, my guess is they want more for this. But regardless, should Foxconn or Mount Pleasant, in this case, be able to use eminent domain to take the property of people who don't want to sell? This is not going to stop the construction of the Foxconn facility, but it would perhaps block future development by Foxconn. Should the landowners be able to say no? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a minute. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, there's this family that owns a lot of agricultural land on, on the perimeter, the periphery of where Foxconn is going. Um, Foxconn would need the land for expansion. Mount Pleasant is trying to take it via eminent domain. They're offering $50,000 an acre. So the payment to the family would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million. This is way, 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 way more than the land would be worth absent Foxconn, right? But because you've got Foxconn there, Foxconn's going to need it at some point in time. Well, the land is worth more. Family is saying we shouldn't be forced to sell under eminent domain. Does it seem to you that it's right to take the land? Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jason. Um, Me being a bit of a gambler, um, these people are taking the biggest financial gamble in the world. If I was offered something like that, I would just, you know, cut bait and run. I'd take my $20 million to the bank and say, okay, it's been a fun run. I'll see you later. 
because the state can also come in there and get it for absolutely nothing. Well, the state would, I mean, thanks for calling the state would, the state could come in and they could take it for fair market value. That That's, that's what it would be. I guess to me, the, this is, this goes back to a Supreme Court decision a number of years ago, which expanded the use of eminent domain. And now you have the state statutes that kind of follow this, essentially saying that the definition of what, what a blighted area is has expanded. See, I clearly, I, I have no problem at all with the concept of eminent domain. That's how you, that's how communities grow. But historically, eminent domain has been used for public sort of entities. The, the idea, again, we, we need, the road's been two lanes forever. We need it to be four lanes. And the only way we can make it by four lanes is we've got to take part of the front yard of the people who live on either side of the road. All right. Well, that, that I, I don't have a problem with that. You, I mean, you have to pay people what the land is worth, but otherwise communities, communities don't grow. The problem with eminent domain, though, has been the government taking private property that is not for a community purpose, but rather for um, the, the idea that there, there's a better use that's out there. You own this particular property, and we can, if we take it, we can put it to better use. By better use, meaning we can expand the tax base. And that's that's kind of a scary trend because, all right, you, you might look at, at this deal with Foxconn and in Mount Pleasant, and, and in the case of these particular owners, this, I mean, they're going to make they're going to make out well. I mean, they're they're being offered much more than I think the land would otherwise be worth. But at the same time, if they don't want to sell, where do you in fact draw the line? Let's say you know you live in a neighborhood, you like the neighborhood, all the houses are well kept, and you've got a Walmart that says, "Hey, I I want to move into this particular neighborhood. I like the fact that this land is close to the freeway, and, and I want all that." Walmart says, "We want all these houses," and they go to the the local common council and they say, "Tell you what, you know, the, this is how much property tax is generated by these houses, but if you allow us to build a Walmart superstore there, it's going to generate all this extra money." So let's do it, you know, let's do it this way and, and let's do it to make money. The law allows those houses to be taken. And I, I want to be consistent here. I'm in fan, I, I think the Foxconn project is going to be great. I think a lot of the landowners in that area really would be mindful of the old saying or should be mindful of the old saying they have about the stock market, which is bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered, which means that you know you can make money when the market's going up if you're smart you can make money when the market's going down but if you get greedy that's where you end up you know losing dough obviously you'd like to have this whole thing worked out a lot of times what happens is you have some of these landowners that decide well we can we can hold out we can get extra money I don't like it when the government comes in and starts doing these takings. I, I haven't since the Supreme Court allowed people to do it, and I would wish they would do something other. Do, do the people have a legitimate legal challenge? No. Would I prefer, though, to allow you know the free market to take over? Because the truth of the matter is, if you don't take this land by eminent domain, it might not actually go up in value. It might go down in value because at some point in time, you know, once you have that Foxconn plant there, I don't know. Maybe there's 
people who don't want to, assuming that you're going to sell it at some point in time, maybe there's people who don't necessarily want to live next door to this big facility. Sometimes, I agree with our first caller, it's best to take the money and run. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Brewers are closing in on their first playoff berth in seven years. Scott Warris is in for John McCure. He'll have an update on the hunt for Brew October today at 4.51 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We've got a big sign up in the studio. The magic number to make the playoffs is four. What that means is any combination of Brewers wins and Colorado Rockies losses totaling four, and the Brewers get into the playoffs. Now, it's cool to be in the playoffs, but what you really want Ideally, you would like win the division because, as we've talked about before, what happens is there's two wild card teams. The three division winners automatically get into the full playoffs. The two wild card teams, which are the two teams outside the division, not the division winners, that have the best records, they have a one game play in um, to then become the fourth team that that plays for uh, to to advance. Right now, to make the playoffs. The Brewers' magic number is four. To host a home wild card game, which would be a big deal, it would be a week from tomorrow, I think the number is five over the St. Louis Cardinals. And then uh, to win the division, which you'd ultimately like to do, because then you don't have to worry about a one-game play. And uh, the Chicago Cubs, their magic number is five. And the uh, ideal thing would be for the Brewers to somehow be able to overhaul the Cubs. Not sure that that's going to happen. But bottom line is, it has been a special season. I think a lot of us thought it had the potential to be a special season um, back on opening day, and it certainly kind of played out that way. So we'll keep you up to date on all the different developments, uh, so keep it tuned. To it. It's 2.35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, I had a friend a number of years ago, um, single woman, bought her first house and then couldn't understand. She, she was always amazed why she didn't understand. She was sitting on her porch, why people would, like, stop in front of her house and kind of like whisper to each other and kind of point and things like that. Didn't understand why that was. Well, as it turns out, she found this out after she'd been living there for a few months, that it was a suicide house, that the the woman who had lived there beforehand had killed herself in my friend's bedroom. <laughs> you know, and, and, and she was just, compl- and it had never been disclosed, and she was completely and totally creeped out by that. Now, for some people, it wouldn't bother you, um, but it, it bothered my friend. And I'll be honest, it, it would have it bothered me. As well, I mean, I understand there's all sorts of older houses and maybe people die of them, but I, that that psychologically, knowing that somebody had killed themselves in my bedroom, that would bother me, and it would be some a factor that I would consider in buying a house. Grew, would that bother you? Not really. If you got a good deal in the house, you don't care. <laughs> there, there could be bodies in the basement, you don't care. Okay, you said people die. How about a murder house? Okay, mur- okay. so the in-cold-blood house, you, he's, Gru says, might be a little different. So the in-cold-blood house, you're not necessarily running out, but it's just, all right, all right well, regardless. Okay, so, but but she sold it because she just she was just uncomfortable in that, which always raises these issues about how much stuff should be disclosed. Now, let me tell you this story, because it's a fascinating one that's in the news. Um, you, you might hear a lot in the news about the, the notorious gang called MS-13, which is an international criminal gang that originated in Los Angeles. When President Trump talks about immigration a lot, he, he talks about the need to 
uh, enforce, you keep the border strict because you have all these members of MS-13 that are coming in from South America and Mexico and, and wreaking all sorts of havoc. So if, you, if you've heard of MS-13, you might have heard about it through, through President Trump. It, it's a notorious gang. All right, now I bring this up because here's the story. Long, there's this house in Long Island. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. Um, it, it sits on a quiet cul-de-sac, and it was just sold. Four-bedroom house backs up on a wooded area. It was just purchased by a couple who are in their 20s, and they, they've got a couple kids. They, they bought the house. Um, they, they, they made an offer. You know, They closed. They, they moved into the house at the end of, of last week, and they, they didn't quite – they got a good deal in the house because the house – let's see, it was originally listed for sale – $377,000 in February, and then ultimately the price was dropped to about 329000 Now, this is a house. It's in Long Island, New York, so a nice kind of cul-de-sac. So the people that bought it, and they're in their 20s. They've got a couple kids. All right, so, hey, we got this great house, four bedrooms, et cetera, et cetera. It's on this quiet cul-de-sac in Long Island. So they moved in last week, and they noticed something. It started out there was something odd because they, they noticed that at 10 o'clock in the morning, they see a group of, of teenagers who are out laying flowers and lighting candles on the sidewalk around their mailbox. Huh, this is interesting. Why are all these people laying flowers and lighting candles and stuff? And then they say, well, um, matter of fact, we're coming back because later on Sunday night, there's going to be, uh, we're having a, a rally to, commemorate uh, the, the death of this woman, at which point in time the homeowners say that the death of, of what? Okay, well, as it turns out, this this house, this dream home that these people bought is in the heart of what President Trump calls the blood-stained killing fields of the MS-13 gang. This four-bedroom house on Long Island apparently backs up to a wooded area where two teenage girls, one 15 and one 16, were found bludgeoned to death back in 2016 by members of MS-13. Um, the home also, apparently what happened is the mother of one of those, those girls was apparently shot um, a couple weeks ago in front of the house. Um, in a dispute over a memorial to her slain daughter. So apparently, you know, what happens is this is this house. Okay. There were murders in the woods. And then just, you know, recently the, one of the girls who was murdered, her mother was like laying wreaths or something in front of the house. And she was the victim of a drive by shooting. This couple is now saying, wait a second. We didn't know anything uh, about this. We didn't know that there were people who were murdered in the woods behind the house. We didn't know that there was a drive-by shooting in front of the house. Nobody told us any of this stuff. Now we've shelled out $323,000. They say, you know, we now we understand why they dropped the price 50 grand for for this house. Now it's starting to make sense and we also, you know, we wouldn't have bought it if we knew that it had all this history to it. You know, they say, you know, we think that we've been ripped off by by the seller or by the real estate agent, that they should have disclosed 
what happened in the woods, not what happened in the house, but what happened in the woods behind the house and what happened in front of the house. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think about this? Obviously, the, the couple didn't do much investigation because if you'd done much investigation about this, it's not like this stuff w- was a secret. It, it, this is, you know, the, the President Trump is talking about this particular neighborhood as being, you know, one of the areas, one of the killing fields that, that this gang has been involved in. But apparently nobody told anybody about what happened in the woods behind the house. Nobody told them about what happened in front of the house. And they say, if we had known this, we wouldn't have purchased it. Right? Did they have a legitimate beef or is this, hey, you know, let the buyer beware. You've got a little bit of research to do. 414-799-1620. Where would you come down on this? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I, I don't intend this as a legal opinion at all. I, I don't think in Wisconsin that you would have to disclose that, you know, there, there was a shooting in the area. I, I, my understanding is the only disclosure you have to make is, is if the, if the act or occurrence, the, the murder, the shooting had an effect on the physical condition of the property or any structures. But again, don't, don't take that to the bank. But I think it's intriguing. This couple buys this house on Long Island. They then subsequently find out that, hey, there were two girls that were murdered by this vicious gang in the woods behind the house and that one of the mothers had been shot outside the house at a memorial. And now they're saying, hey, we feel ripped off. We're not going to be able to sell this house. Do they have a legitimate point? 414-799-1620. Bill in Mount Pleasant. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ. Uh, yeah, I think both people got ripped off uh, by the real estate people because really, I mean, uh, this is something that is not going to go away. You know, this is going to be an ongoing issue and it's a dangerous family issue to have that and somebody shooting in front of your house. Obviously, they're going to have to move anyhow. And now what do they do? You know, this, this I think, is... It should have been written in a real estate uh, disclosure agreement. And do you think the couple has any, ha, ha, before they buy the house, do you think they have any duty at all to kind of investigate the neighborhood? Because th- this wasn't a secret. You know, none of this stuff was a secret. I mean, the, the girls were murdered behind the house in, in 2006. Do they have any obligation to do you know research on their own to figure out what kind of neighborhood they might be moving into? Well, I mean, most people, you know, they don't, you know, do the investigation like a news source or anything. Uh-huh. I mean, they just don't have the access to, to that information. I have a neighbor that just moved in, and he didn't know that that uh, there was a SWAT team that had moved into came into the house and taken out the, the son. Okay. Either. He had no idea, and uh, but I mean, he wasn't too upset. But he was surprised, but he wasn't upset. But in this case, particular case. Uh, is it their responsibility? Well, you know, uh, I think that the real estate people have to be upfront. I really, I mm-hmm. really think it's a shame that some that two people, families, have to be uprooted probably again. And if you don't do it, somebody else can get shot. I mean, he, somebody was already shot. Yeah. Okay. No. Thanks. All right. I, I, th- this is, I guess. See, to me, this is this is what the interesting thing is. Is it? Is, is what, and see, and here, here's what makes this one interesting. This didn't happen inside the house. This, this happened essentially off the property. You know, the, the wooded area behind the house. It happened in front of the house. Obviously, you've got gang activity in this area, but is that something that you should 
investigate before you, you move in? Or, or what, what do we say to real estate agents? Do you say that, okay, you have to, I don't know, make them, make every, every piece of crime data, do you have to make that available? I mean, where do you draw the line? Uh, let's talk to Gary in Waukesha. Hi, Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. The answer is simple. It depends on whether the house has a stigma. In Wisconsin, uh, the stigma law says if there was a horrific criminal event in a house, a murder, uh, a very gory suicide, or a drug lab, mm-hmm. that has to be disclosed. It's the law. Okay. Well, what I if understand. it did, what if it didn't happen in the house? What if it happened in the neighborhood? I understand in this case. It did not happen in the house. Mm-hmm. It happened outside on public property and probably private property adjacent to it. Right. In that sense, we have to go to what Rhode Island uh, or Long Island well, yeah. law says about stigma property. Right. And we don't. We are not attorneys in that area, right. uh, in that part of the country. But in Wisconsin, the law is silent on that. Right. So, well, well, do you think the real estate agent should have, irrespective of, of what the legal obligations would be, do you think they should have told the people? Uh, would, are, were there two agents, or was this a Zillow thing? Because uh, I, I don't know. Another example, example of use a professional, right? Right. Use a professional. And uh, if uh, the agent knew that this happened, the selling agent, then my personal opinion, I would have disclosed it. Mm-hmm. I would have disclosed it now. In Wisconsin, we have a law about child molesters. You can't, as an agent, say that there's a child molester living next door. You have to direct them to the child molester website. Right, <clears throat> right. yeah, check, check the sexual predator thing. Okay, no, got it. Okay, thanks for calling. And again, this is, and, and the laws are going to vary. I, I get that from, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But I'm, I'm kind of interested in the, what you think about the larger, the larger aspect here. You know, is this information, and again, this is public information. We're not talking about something that, that you wouldn't have otherwise known. This was, I mean, the president talked about, hey, this, this is this neighborhood that, you know, was involved in this. Do you think there was an obligation to disclose, or is this one where, hey, before you buy the house, maybe you should be checking these things out? Katie in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. I happen to be a real estate agent, and I'm not allowed to stigmatize the neighborhood. It's called redlining. I'm not allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to talk about the economic makeup of a house, of a neighborhood, or talk about the ethnic nature of a neighborhood. So you couldn't or, say, hey, by the way, there, there's a lot of gang activity in this neighborhood, or did you know that two peop- two girls were found murdered in that, that backwooded area behind your house? I am absolutely not supposed to do that. And furthermore, if I have a contract to list a home with a, 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 seller, a seller, right? My due diligence is to, you know, sell their house um, and not stigmatize a neighborhood. Now, there is rules about, you know, material defects. Sure, yeah. yeah. Material defects, things like that. But can you imagine what Pandora's box that opens if you can start saying, well, this neighborhood is this economic makeup or this neighborhood has this kind of ethnic, you know, makeup? 
That's, you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. So you would think that in, in this case where, again, it didn't happen on the property and it certainly didn't happen inside the house, you're not saying anything about the fact that, hey, there was a shooting outside the house or there were bodies found in the wooded area behind the house. You, you're not saying anything about that. No, I tell my clients to educate themselves, you know, are there train tracks nearby? Is there commercial development nearby? What things do you like having a school nearby? Some people might want a school right across the street. I tell them. The best thing to do when you're buying a house is check out the neighborhood. What do you think of it? This is where you're going to buy a home. I leave that up to them because what may be some person might not like a school. Some person may love that the grade school is right across the street. That is how I direct them. Right. So, now, of course, it's a little bit different than a grade school across the street. No, I got it. Thanks. Yeah. I, actually, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this, Katie, because I, I think it's a slippery slope. I do think that... There are some things I wouldn't buy a murder house, for for example. But that's not what this is. This is on this is the the neighborhood essentially. Now, admittedly, in front of the house, behind the house, would I would I want to know this type of stuff? Yeah, I would. But I I do think when you're making a major purchase like something like this, you know, in this case, it's a three hundred thirty thousand dollar house. I, I do think people have a little unless unless the the issue the defect is just hidden. And sometimes stuff is is hidden, but this isn't hidden. This was, I mean, you know, a little bit of checking could have probably told you. I mean, one of the first things that I would have asked if I, for example, was the buyer is, huh, this house has been on the market for a long time, and they keep dropping the price and dropping the price, and it's priced substantially below what similar properties that we've looked at in Long Island is. What what What's going on here? I, I th- Now, Obviously, if somebody lied to you, that's a different story. But I, I do think if this was me, I would be asking at least a couple questions of somebody trying to figure out, huh, why is this house selling for so much less than other houses are selling for? Oh, because, I don't know, a vicious gang murdered two people and stuck them in the woods behind that. Well, I understand that you want to know. And I do, by the way, feel bad for this couple because I don't know who you sell this thing to. They're, you know, they kept dropping the price on it. So I think to an extent they're stuck. But there is an element of buyer beware. No question about it. John McCure continues um, one of his listener trips. When we come back, Scott Warris is in for John. A lot of stuff on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Melissa Barkley is back. Greg Matzik is in. We'll find out what they all have on their minds in just a moment. Stick around. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.